Thank you, Bill. So, so important to, rec- to remember how our Lord, God, is holy and how even in His love and mercy when Christ died for us, we also see His holiness because sin had to be paid for. And as we will remember when we participate in the Lord's sum- uh, Supper, that is why Christ died for us. Last week, on Memorial, uh, the day before Memorial Day, we looked at a passage in the book of Joshua, uh, looking at the purpose of the memorial that was set up in that passage. The week previous, we were in our series in 2 Samuel, and we saw the importance of guarding our heart from sin, as illustrated in that passage uh, with David and Absalom. And today we return to our series in 2 Samuel. So we'll be in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 15, picking up where we left off last week when we left off with Absalom stealing the hearts of the people of Israel, the men of Israel. And today in 2 Samuel, we'll be looking at the motives of some of the main characters involved in this passage You know, when a prosecuting attorney takes his case before the jury at a trial in our country, he is, he, one of the things he will often do is try to prove the motive of the alleged offender and why he committed that crime, which helps prove that he did indeed commit the crime and convince the juries of his guilt and need for punishment. And so this morning we'll be looking at some motives, both good and bad, in this passage, which involves a conflict of the main characters between, as they choose sides, between Absalom and David. So this morning we'll be looking at three differing motives in the responses of the characters that are reacting to the conflict between David and Absalom. How do we today respond to conflict surrounding us or that involves us in any way? How do we respond to conflicts in our lives today? We can learn from this passage, examining these three differing motives, two of them bad motives, one of them good and how we should examine our motives whenever we are involved in a conflict so that not only are we taking the right course of action and making the right choices, but for the right reasons. These three motives that we'll look at today will be, first of all, selfish ambition, which of course is a wrong motive, an evil motive, selfish ambition regardless of what God desires. Selfish ambition is the first motive we'll look at this morning. And then the second motive we'll examine and the different characters that display that motive will be loyalty. Loyalty will be the second motive we'll look at. And then third, the third motive we'll examine is revenge. Revenge. These three motives, of course, two of them bad, one of them good we'll be looking at in this passage of scripture this morning. Let's bow for prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have inspired your word completely and wholly, and that it is for our instruction, for our doctrine and reproof and correction, and uh, that we may be thoroughly furnished and approved uh, in our works for you that we would live for you and it be enabled and equipped by your word to bring you glory and praise with our lives, the choices that we make. I pray that we would always examine our lives, the choices, our course of action, that it would line up with your will, what you want us to do and how you want us to approach any conflict that should arise in our lives biblically from your word, from your perspective. I pray that we would always examine our motives and that our motives would be right and true and ultimately would be loyal 
to what you want, loyal to you, loyal to those that you are working through in our lives. And Lord, that we would never, of course, model the or follow the bad examples that we have in this passage this morning of selfish ambition and revenge. Uh, just use this passage now, Lord, to glorify you in our lives this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. The first motive we find is selfish ambition. Of course, an evil motive. And the first person who demonstrates that in the passage this morning is Absalom. Uh, last time we ended with verse 6, where Absalom had stolen the hearts of the men of Israel. Uh, just to get the full effect of that, we'll, we'll start with verse 1 of chapter 15, but we'll be focusing on starting at verse 7, but let's read starting at verse 1 of 2 Samuel chapter 15. 2 chapter, Samuel chapter 15, starting at verse 1. And it came to pass after this, that Absalom prepared him chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. And Absalom rose up early and stood beside the way of the gate. And it was so that when any man that had a controversy come to the king for judgment, then Absalom called unto him and said, Of what city art thou? And he said, Thy servant is one of the tribes of Israel. And Absalom said unto him, See, thy matters are good and right, but there is no man deputed of the king to hear thee. And Absalom said, Moreover, Oh, that I were made a judge in the land, that every man which hath any suit or cause might come unto me, and I would do him justice. And it was so that when any man came nigh to him to do him obeisance, he put forth his hand and took him and kissed him. And on this manner did Absalom to all Israel that came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. And you might say Absalom was a good politician. Uh, he knew how to persuade people to vote for him, uh, making them promises, whether uh, true or not, that he was for them, that he would take up their case for them, that he was on their side, that he was somebody they could trust and that had their best interest in mind. But of course, Absalom is in the wrong here because he's going against his father, trying to replace his father. We saw two weeks ago when we looked at 2 Samuel chapter 14 that Absalom developed a resentment in his heart toward David because David, first of all, David had not dealt with the sin of Absalom's half-brother Ammon. So Absalom took it upon himself, took the law into his own hands to kill Ammon for what he had done to Absalom's full sister. And so there was this trouble in David's house, and it was a fulfillment in part of the punishment that Nathan the prophet predicted to David after David sinned with Bathsheba, that the sword would not depart from his house. So David is reaping the results of that sin, but he's perpetrating it. He's a uh, allowing it to continue by his lack of dealing with the sins in his household. And Absalom recognizes that lack of judgment, lack of discernment in David, resents it. David apparently holds the killing of one of his sons, Ammon, by Absalom, against Absalom, very much so, but does not deal with it directly. He may have intended to do so, but Joab and, and uh, perhaps Absalom to some extent in him, himself or with Joab speaking on his behalf with that wise woman that we looked at two weeks ago, persuades him otherwise, persuades him to allow Absalom to leave his exile in which Absalom was hiding, fleeing for his life from David, who could have had Absalom put to death for this act of revenge against his half-brother, David's other son, one of his other sons. And so Absalom was brought back to Jerusalem, but David didn't speak to him. He was brought back, and for three years, David didn't, spe didn't speak to him. For a long time after he even came back out of his exile, he did not speak to him until Absalom burned Joab's field to get Joab's attention when Joab would not bring Absalom's case before David 
to get him reinstated in the palace, to get him back into fellowship with his father, where his father would actually speak to him again. And when that actually happens, by that point, Absalom has a grudge against David, probably against Joab as well. As we see, Absalom doesn't choose to use Joab in his military, and perhaps Joab is just loyal to David. But we'll look at some other reasons why I think that Joab had other motives involved for staying with, with David. But, but Absalom has allowed his heart to be influenced against David to the point where even though David was anointed by Samuel to be the king, even though David himself had waited to become the king until Saul, who had also been anointed king, had died, even though David had the opportunity to kill Saul a couple of times. And if he had wanted to, he probably could have led a revolt against Saul and perhaps even won a civil war against Saul and removed him. But David recognized Saul was anointed by God until God removes him, Saul is king. David waited his turn to become king. Not so with Absalom. Absalom decides enough with David as our king. David sinned with Bathsheba. David had not worked justice for uh, Absalom's sister Tamar in that case, and he had not treated Absalom fairly. This was Absalom's complaint. This is Absalom's bitterness toward David, and Absalom has ambition. He wants to be king. He has the looks. We saw that in 2 Samuel 14, how he had the, the head of hair, manly hair, and people recognized that Absalom was a good-looking guy. But furthermore, he had the charm as well, and he's able to, whether he had the wisdom or the godliness to lead the children of Israel, I think we could question based on what we see in this passage that he doesn't, but he had the skill of manipulating people and getting them on his side, talking with them, making friends with them, and convincing them, I have your best interest in my mind, work with me. I have your back. So he was a good at persuading people, shaking hands and backslapping and getting people on his side. But he had a motive. He wanted to replace his father as king. It could be that Absalom, and very most likely Absalom recognizes that David is not going to pick Absalom to be the heir to the throne. At one time, perhaps that could have been considered, but now because of what Absalom has done, Absalom realizes he's fallen out of favor with his father to the point where he is probably not going to succeed his father as king. So when the time is right, Absalom decides, you know, I'm going to overthrow the king. I'm going to take the, at the right time, I'm going to become the new king of Israel. And so he follows this course of action because of that ambition. He wants to be king. He holds a grudge against his father, and he wants not just revenge, but he has this ambition of being king. He believes most likely that he will be passed up and not be the heir. We see the likelihood of that later on in 2 Samuel and even 1 Kings, where David passes up his oldest son that was still living to make Solomon the king, because Solomon was more worthy. And of course, Solomon is the son of Bathsheba, and Solomon will be the one that God chooses to be the next king. Absalom is not that man, not, and is not going to be that man, but Absalom wants to be that man. He wants to be the king wants to replace David. So he has that selfish ambition. And we have to make sure that in anything that we do, are we doing it for God? Or are we doing it for us? Let's always evaluate. Why are we making this choice, this decision, following this course of action? Let us submit our will to God and make sure that we do not let selfish ambition be what drives us, but rather, what does God want? What is best? What is the most going to be most glorifying to God with our lives, with our church, with our country, with our family, with our money, with our time? What is most going to glorify God? How are we going to make these choices? Are we going to choose what's going to glorify best God? Absalom's not even taking that consideration. He's looking at what is in it for him, what is good for him, 
And so selfish ambition, he is an ambitious character. Let's look at verse 8. Uh, let's look at verse 7, actually. And it came to pass, after 40 years, um, and I think a lot of your translations might say four years, which are probably correct, because uh, that's what the Septuagint says is four years, which is the Greek translation. And David was only king for 40 years, so it has to be four years. Four years. And it came to pass that Absalom said unto the king, I pray thee, let me go and pay my vow, which I have vowed unto the Lord in Hebron. Notice it's interesting he chooses Hebron because Hebron is where David ruled as king for seven years while the kingdom was still divided, while Abner had set up Ishbosheth, who was Saul's remaining son, after Saul and his other sons, Jonathan and his other sons, had died in battle against the Philistines. Ishbosheth was a remaining son, and Abner, the general for King Saul, set Ishbosheth up as king. But meanwhile, the tribe of Judah set David up as king. And for seven years, David was a king at Hebron in Judah. So now Absalom is following in his father's footsteps in that sense, and he's proclaiming himself at Hebron to be the rightful king. And then, of course, he's going to move very quickly to go to Jerusalem, that is now the capital, under David. Let's look at... Verse 7, it came to pass after 40 years that Absalom said unto the king, I pray thee, let me go and pay my vow, which I vowed unto the Lord at Hebron. For thy servant vowed a vow, which I, which I abode at Geshur in Syria. So he's saying, when I was in exile in Geshur, I, I vowed a vow, and I need to go pay that vow to the Lord now, which is a very serious thing. So David honors that, but Absalom's lying, uh, unless he vowed, unless the vow he vowed was, when I get back, if I get back out of exile, I will replace David as king. Maybe that's the vow he's speaking of. Or maybe this is just a lie, a lie, a ruse to tell David, here's why I'm going to Hebron. And of course, that's not the real reason. But if the Lord shall bring me again indeed to Jerusalem, then I will serve the Lord. And of course, what Absalom's thinking is not that he will serve the Lord in Jerusalem, but that he'll be the king in Jerusalem when he comes back. He's going to go to Hebron. He's going to set himself up as the king, proclaim himself to be king, have his supporters gather around him and then march to Jerusalem and take over. That's his plan. David doesn't recognize it, doesn't see it coming yet, but he soon will. In verse 9, the king said unto him, Go in peace. So he arose and went to Hebron. So David, for his part, apparently is not suspecting or hasn't realized fully yet and is trying to please Absalom, his son, and honor the vow that Absalom says he has made to God. And so... David allows him to go, has his permission. Verse 10, And Absalom sent spies throughout the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as ye hear the sound of the trumpet, then ye shall say, Absalom reigneth in Hebron. And with Absalom went two hundred men out of Jerusalem that were called, and they went in in their simplicity, and they knew not anything. So not everyone gathering together. And this is one of the things that has been said about communism, whenever communism would take over a country. There was only a few people that were actually taking the country over and establishing that communist dictatorship, and they were just using other people that had good intentions of overthrowing one corrupt form of government and bringing in another. And then the dictator, whether it was uh, Vladimir Lenin in Russia, or whether it was Fidel Castro in Cuba, or Ho Chi Minh in Vietnam, or Mao Zedong in China, in every case, there was this few group, small group of people involved and the other people they all had good intentions but they got manipulated they got used and Absalom uses these people to take over to try for a time the kingdom and to potentially overthrow and destroy David so verse 12 Absalom sent for Ahithophel the Gib the Gileonite, David's counselor from his city even from Gilo which he offered sacrifice in the conspiracy was strong for the people increased continually with Absalom. So Absalom is persuading people, he's getting people on his side, and one of the people he gets on his side, and this is the second um, character that comes up in here, and here is an example, I believe, the motive for Ahithophel may not be so much selfish ambition as it is revenge. That third motive that I mentioned. 
because Ahithophel is the grandfather of Bathsheba. I think that he holds something against David. We mentioned this back when, when, when Bathsheba sinned, how David is going to reap what he sows, and Nathan testifies that to David back in chapter 12 and tells him that's going to happen. You're going to reap what you've sown. What you've done secretly, I will do openly against you. And that's going to come to pass because of the advice that Ahithophel gives to Absalom. So Ahithophel is going to be used to fulfill that prophecy. And perhaps Ahithophel's motive is vengeance. It wouldn't be too surprising uh, considering his connection personally with Bathsheba what you get from genealogies, which we won't uh, go to this morning, but um, if you'd like to do a little study and notice his genealogy, his um, relationship with Bathsheba, and how he personally may have felt toward David because of that. But Ahithophel had been a, a wise man, a counselor, who could give good advice. And so Absalom sends for him. Apparently he knows Ahithophel has a chip on his shoulder, knows he can use that for his good, knows Ahithophel is a very wise man and will give him good advice. And Ahithophel does. And it's going to tell us that in this passage. Ahithophel, when he gives advice, it's as if God is speaking because of the wisdom through him and he is used to fulfill God's prophecy. It's as if Whatever he says, that's what you, you take it and you do it. And if you do it, it turns out good. Okay? Uh, just as if we listen to what God has to say, we, that's, the best course of, that's the best course of action. So at least materially speaking, he gives very good advice. So he is sent for by Absalom. And now we come to our second motive. We've mentioned the third already, revenge. But the second motive is loyalty. And David is our first character in this passage that exemplifies that, that demonstrates that for us. Loyalty. Look at verse 13. And there came a messenger to David, saying, The hearts of men of, of Israel, the hearts of the men of Israel are after Absalom. And David said unto his servants that were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee. For we shall not else escape from Absalom. Make speed to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly and bring evil upon us and smite the city with the edge of the sword. Now, wait a minute. Okay, David could have, perhaps, in the, instead of fleeing, he could have gathered those loyal to him and had his army defend the walls of Jerusalem against a siege. He may have been unsuccessful. And that would have caused, of course, in the siege, a lot of people in Jerusalem, in the wall and houses would have been damaged, people would have been slain, and just the resistance, if they had even put up a resistance at Jerusalem, may have caused Absalom to kill many people in Jerusalem, some of whom were innocent. And David recognizes, you know, this is because of what I did with Bathsheba. God is punishing me. This is, this is, this is a result for my sin. We're going to see that later in the passage. He's recognizing, I deserve this. This is in fulfillment to what Nathan told me would happen because of my sin. And I'm not going to bring my punishment upon the rest of the city. He is loyal to his people. He's loyal to Jerusalem. He does not want his punishment to come upon them. So he leaves the city. He's going to take the fight to the open field. He's going to go into hiding first, gather his supporters, and eventually bring the battle to Absalom outside of Jerusalem rather than put up a siege, put up a fight, perhaps even lose in the attempt, and then bring great vengeance upon the city of Jerusalem. He doesn't want that fight to be there at Jerusalem. So he's going to spare the city of Jerusalem that physical violence by leaving the city. But he will return. Look at verse 15. And the king's servants said unto the king, Behold, thy servants are ready to do whatsoever my lord the king shall appoint. They're ready to defend him if he wants to stay there. They're ready to leave with them if he wants to leave. They're ready to stay behind if he tells them to stay behind and he leaves. They are loyal. So here's another example of a loyalty are the servants of David. They are loyal to him as God's ruler for them. They are loyal to him, not to Absalom. He is the rightful king and they are rightfully loyal to him. Verse 16, the king went forth and all his household after him. 
Notice he's taking care of his household, taking his household with him. And the king left ten women, which were concubines, to keep the house. And the king went forth, and all the people after him, and tarried in the place that was afar off. And all his servants passed on beside him, and all the Cherethites, and all the Pelethites, and all the Gittites, six hundred men, which came after him from Gath, passed on before the king. So you see, he does have a large number of supporters. He could have stayed and fight. These are some mighty men of valor. They had a shot. They had a chance. But he wants to spare Jerusalem. He realizes it's, it's his punishment. And he's not yet ready to take on Absalom personally. He doesn't want to kill Absalom. We'll see that later. So he leaves. He flees. This is what he believes is best for his people, for the city of Jerusalem. He's loyal to them. His servants are loyal to him. And then we have another example of loyalty. Another example of loyalty is Ittai the Gittite. Ittai the Gittite. Look at verse 19. Then said the king to Ittai the Gittite, Wherefore goest thou also with us? Return to thy place and abide with the king. For thou art a stranger and also an exile. So look, at, look at what David is saying, verse 19. Then said the king to Ittai, abide with the king. Is he recognizing Absalom as becoming the king now? Or is he speaking of perhaps uh, Ittai's homeland? Either way, he's telling Ittai, you've only been with me a short amount of time. This isn't your fight. Ittai, his heritage is with the Philistines. And apparently he had been some kind of general, a leader, a mighty man of war back in, with the, in the land of the Philistines. Remember that David spent quite a bit of time in Philistia, had lived there for a while, had, had told the king of the Philistines that he was going to fight for them. And when he was telling them he was fighting against his own people, he was raiding other enemies of Israel and saying that he was fighting against Israel, and was willing, at least what he told the king of the Philistines, was he was willing to go into battle against King Saul. But the king of Philistia, because of the lords of the Philistines that did not want to fight with David, he was afraid David would turn on them in the battle, probably rightly so. David did not go to battle against King Saul. But one of these Philistine leaders is loyal to David, perhaps going back to those events or perhaps more recently, because David hints that he hasn't been that long with David. But Ittai is loyal to David nonetheless. It does not matter to Ittai what is best for Ittai. Because David's saying, it's better for you to stay here, you know, just be the politician, do what's best for you. you, I, I, you don't, I don't need to drag you into this. You know, do what's best for you. But Ittai is loyal. And he says, no, if you die, I'm going to be with you when you die. If you're living, if you, I'm going to be there supporting you as the king. We see this in verse 20. Where, whereas thou comest but yesterday, says David to Idai, should I this day make thee go up and down with us, seeing I go whither I may, return thou, and take back thy brother. Mercy and truth be with thee. And Idai answered the king and said, as the Lord liveth. And so you see that he is a convert to the one true God. He recognizes God as God, and he recognizes David as the anointed ruler for God, the rightful ruler. And he says, no, I'm going to be loyal to David. I'm going to be loyal to God. David is God's man. As the, law, as the Lord liveth, and as my Lord the king liveth, surely in what place my Lord the king shall be, whether in death or life, even there also will thy servant be. A very strong statement of loyalty. Verse 22, And David said to Ittai, Go and pass over. And Ittai the Gittite passed over, and all his men, and all the Ittite ones that were with him. Later, when Absalom actually does go into battle against the forces of David, Ittai will be one of the three main commanders in that battle, along with Joab and Joab's brother Abishai, who we also see in this passage. So Ittai is an example of loyalty. Verse 23, And the country wept with a loud voice, and all the people passed over, and the king also himself passed over the brook Kidron, and all the people passed over toward the way of the wilderness. 
And lo, Zadok also, and the Levites were with him. Zadok is also loyal to the king. Bearing the Ark of the Covenant of God, and they sent, uh, set down the Ark of God, Abathir went up, and all the people had done passing out the city. And the king said to Zadok, carry back the Ark of God into the city, and I shall find favor in the eyes of the Lord. If I shall find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me again and show me both it and his habitation. So David has hope. He believes God will bring him through this conflict and that he will return. And he wants the Ark of the Covenant to stay there at, the, at Jerusalem with the priests. And he tells the priests, stay there at Jerusalem. You know, if God wills it, I will return. Verse 26, but if he... Thus say, I have no delight in thee. So he's speaking of God. Behold, here am I. Let him do to me as he seemeth good. So David is submitting his case to God. He's going to trust God to work things out. Whether it be in his favor or not, he's not going to allow selfish ambition. He's not going to fight against God. If it's God's will for him to leave, he's going to leave. If it's God's will for him to return, he will return. So David is loyal to God, he's loyal to those who are following him, and he wants what's best and what God wants, whether it's good for him personally or not. And then verse 26, but if he thus say, okay, verse 27, the king said unto Zadok the priest, art not thou a seer, an overseer, a prophet, man of God? Return unto the city in peace, and your two sons with you, Ahimeaz thy son, and Jonathan the son of Abathar. See, I will tarry in the plain of the wilderness until there come word from you to certify me. So David says, you please be some messengers for me. You be my inside men. You tell me what's going on. That's what he, why he want, another reason he wants Jonathan and Ahimeaz, the sons of the priests, to stay there in Jerusalem. See, I will tarry in the plain. Okay, and you will certify me. Verse 29, Zadok, therefore, and Abathar carried the ark of God again to Jerusalem, and they tarried there. And they're loyal to David. Verse 30, And David went up by the ascent of Mount Olivet and wept as he went up, and laid his head covered, and he wept barefoot. And all the people that was with him covered every man his head, and they went up weeping as they went. And one told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirator, conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, I pray thee, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. Again, I believe Ahithophel is acting out of vengeance toward David, more so than even ambition, although ambition may be involved as well. But verse 32, And it came to pass that when David was come to the top of the mount, where he worshipped God, behold, Hushai the archite came to meet him with his coat rent and earth upon his head. Here's another man who is going to demonstrate loyalty in this passage. And Hushai apparently is an older man and has some wise counsel, very wise counsel himself. And David wants, will have Hushai be his inside man and speak for David to Absalom to answer the prayer that David has just asked to God to defeat the counsel of Ahithophel, who gave wise counsel. Hushai is also a wise counselor, and he has Hushai go back to defeat Ahithophel's counsel. And apparently, uh, because uh, Hushai is older, he may have slowed David down if he were to go with David, as we see David allude to in the following verses. Verse 32, And it came to pass, when David was come to the top of the mount where he worshipped God, Behold, Hushai, the archite, came to meet him with his coat rent and earth upon his head. And to whom David said, If thou passest on with me, thou shalt be a burden unto me. But if thou return, in other words, it will help me more if you stay behind than if you come with me. But if thou return to the city and said unto Absalom, I will be thy servant, O king, as I have been thy father's servant hitherto, so will I now also be thy servant. Thou mayest thou for me defeat the counsel of Ahithophel. And he will. Verse 35. And hast thou not there with thee Zadok and Abathar the priests? Therefore it shall be that what thing soever thou shalt hear out of the king's house, thou shalt tell it to Zadok and Abathar the priests. Behold, they have with them their two sons, Ahimeaz, Zadok's son, and Jonathan, Abathar's son. And by them ye shall send unto me everything that ye can hear. 
So Hushai, David's friend, came into the city and Absalom came into Jerusalem. So David knows who's loyal to him, who he can entrust, who are faithful men. And we have a similar concept in the New Testament. The things that we have heard among many witnesses, the things that God hath taught us, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. David is committing his life, his rule, his future to these faithful men who are going to work on his behalf. And if God is willing, David will return as the king. And so he commits himself to Hushai, who is loyal to him, and sends him back to the city to speak to Absalom. Then we come to, chap to chapter 16, and we see a continuing, another motive again, the first motive, ambition, we also see modeled by Ziba. Ziba was a servant of Saul, and he was the caretaker of Saul's lands. And David had told Ziba, you will now serve Mephibosheth, Jonathan's son, Jonathan's remaining son, Jonathan had had that close relationship with David, had made a covenant with David, had been loyal to David, and now David was loyal to Mephibosheth, David's son, and Ziba was given as the servant to Mephibosheth to watch over the lands that used to belong to Saul for Mephibosheth. But Ziba is an ambitious guy. He would like to have all those lands for himself. And so he sees the opportunity here. He realizes, hey, Mephibosheth is a descendant of Saul. Mephibosheth ah, is a descendant of Saul. We can use this. And so he comes up with a lie, as we'll see later in, in 2 Samuel. We won't be able to get to that today. But Ziba comes up with a lie to speak to David. And David acts a little hastily here in response to that lie, as we'll see later. And Ziba tells this lie to David because of his own selfish ambition, what's in it for him, as we see in the opening verses of 16. When David was a little past the top of the hill, behold, Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, met him with a couple of donkeys saddled, and upon them 200 loaves of bread, and a 100 bunches of raisins, and a 100 summer fruits, and a bottle of wine. And the king said unto Ziba, What meanest thou by these? And Ziba said, The donkeys for the king's household to ride on, and the bread and summer fruit for the young men to eat, and the wine that such as be faint in the wilderness may drink. And the king said, And, there is thy and where is thy master's son? We'll find that out later. Ziba said unto him, But not today. And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he abideth at Jerusalem. For he said, and this is a lie, Today shall the house of Israel restore me the kingdom of my father. Then said the king to Ziba, Behold, thine are all that pertain to Mephibosheth. You can have all his lands, which is exactly what Ziba wants. And Ziba said, I humbly beseech thee that I may find grace in thy sight, my lord, O king. And when, thy, and when the king came to... Beth so you see here, Ziba is doing something good. He's showing loyalty. He's demonstrating loyalty to David which is the right course of action to demonstrate loyalty to David, but he's doing it in the wrong way with the wrong motive. What's in it for him? So we have to be careful, even in making the right decisions, even in pursuing the right course of action in our lives today, and the decisions we make, what we do with our money, what we do with our time. Let's always make sure we're doing it for the right motives, not what's in it for us, like Ziba, but what pleases God. What does God want? Did God want Ziba to steal Mephibosheth's land in this, by telling this lie? Certainly not. Did God want Ziba to help David? I'm sure. He would, uh, that, but he should have done it through the proper means, which would have been through Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth was left behind by Ziba, and Mephibosheth is lame, and he cannot come with unless, Mephibosheth, unless he's given that help by Ziba. But Ziba abandons Mephibosheth, takes advantage of his handicap, and leaves him behind, and then is going to get some of his land. He won't get all of it in the end. David will say, okay, I can't decide who's telling the truth and who's not. So he splits it, and Mephibosheth says, that's fine with me. I don't need the land. I, am just, I just want to be with you. And we'll see how his heart is right later, but not today. Uh, one more character, and this, I just want to cover this one especially because he exemplifies the motive of revenge. Shimei is another character in the conflict here. And we see the, the clash of these different characters and their motives for 
the course of action, the decision, the approach, the response to this conflict between Absalom and David that they take. Look at how Shimei responds out of vengeance. In verse 5, when King David came to Bathurim, behold, there came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera. And he came forth and cursed still as he came. And he cast stones at David and at all the servants of the king of David. And all the people and all the mighty men were on his right side and on his left. And this is kind of a foolish thing to do for Shimei. He's throwing stones at an army of armed men and cursing their king, who they're loyal to, and they're already a little bit upset because they're leaving Jerusalem with David because Absalom is about to come in and take over. And this guy is throwing stones at them and, and yelling curses. Uh, seems like he has a death wish for himself. Uh, later he's going to get it, but not yet. Not yet. Uh, because David recognizes God is punishing me. Some of the things he's saying while he's hurling out these curses and stones are actually true. God is punishing me. I am a bloody man. I have murdered Uriah the Hittite. Now, the reason Shimei is casting the stones and saying curses is Shimei is a descendant of Saul. And he thinks that the house of Saul should still be the king. That Saul's descendants should, should still be ruling over Israel. And so he wants revenge. He believes that David is now getting what he deserves because he has usurped the throne instead of Saul. But that's not the case at all. We know that because Samuel, the prophet of God, anointed David to be the king. David was chosen by God to be the king instead of Saul. Saul was rejected. And so that accusation of Shimei is completely false. And his desire for revenge is an evil one, as, as, as revenge always is. When we're doing something for revenge, even if it seems like the right course of action, that would be an evil motive. But look at verse 7. And thus Shimei went and cursed, Come out, come out, thou bloody man, thou man of Belial. And the Lord, so he's daring David to go and prove that he is a bloody man and kill him. He's daring him to. And verse 8, And the Lord hath returned upon thee all the blood of the house of Saul, and whose, thou and whose stead thou hast reigned. And the Lord hath delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom thy son. Behold, thou art taken in thy mischief, because thou art a bloody man. Then said Abishai, notice we have another example of loyalty here, Abishai, who is the brother of Joab, a cousin of David. Then said Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, unto the king, Why would this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over, I pray, and take off his head. Okay, so somebody wants to grant uh, Shimei his death wish here and go ahead and silence him permanently. Um, but notice what David, how David responds. Uh, notice the restraint that he shows, even the loyalty to his own people and the recognition that he is getting what he deserves for his sin with Bathsheba against, and killing Uriah the Hittite. He recognizes that some of what Shimei is saying is true, some of it's not true, and that's uh, Shimei is going to reap, reap his own reward under Solomon when he'll get uh, punished then. But number 10, And the king said, What have I to do with you, ye sons of Zariah? So let him curse, because the Lord hath said unto him, Curse David. Who shall then say, Wherefore hast thou done so? And David said to Abishai and to all his servants, Behold, my son, which came forth of my bowels, seeketh my life. How much more now may this Benjaminite do it? Let him alone, let him curse, for the Lord hath bidden him. It may be that the Lord will look on my affliction, and the Lord will requite me good for his cursing this day. And as David and his men went by the way. Shimei went along on the hillside over against him and cursed as he went and threw stones at him and cast dust. And the king and all the people that were with him came weary and refreshed themselves there. In verse 15, Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel, came to Jerusalem and Ahithophel with him. And it came to pass when Hushai the archite, David's friend, was come unto Absalom, that Hushai said unto Absalom, God save the king, God save the king. And remember, Hushai is really loyal to David. And Absalom said to Hushai, is, thy, is this a kindness to thy friend? Why wentest thou not with thy friend? And he knows that he's a friend of David. And Hushai said unto Absalom, Nay, but whom the Lord and this people and all the men of Israel choose, this his will I, will I be, and with him will I abide. 
And again, whom should I serve? Should I not serve in the presence of his son? As I have served in thy father's presence, so will I be in thy presence. And then said Absalom to Ahithophel, Give counsel among you what we shall do. And Ahithophel said unto Absalom, Go unto thy father's concubines, he hath, who he hath left to keep the house. And all Israel shall hear that thou art abhorred, abhorred of thy father. Then shalt the hands of all that are with thee be strong. So they spread Absalom a tent among the top of the household, and Absalom went in unto his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. Which again goes back to exactly what Nathan said would happen to David. And the counsel of Ahithophel, which he counseled in those days, was as if a man had inquired of the oracle of God. So was all the counsel of Ahithophel, both with David and with Absalom. But Ahithophel's counsel is not going to be followed. We'll have to save that for next time in chapter 17. But Ahithophel's counsel in chapter 17 is not going to be followed. He gives Absalom good advice. Absalom asks Hushai, who's loyal to David, for his own advice. Hushai beats Ahithophel's advice. He gives him this extraordinary argument for why Absalom should listen to Hushai and not to Ahithophel. Absalom does. And of course, Hushai gives Absalom advice that David can work with, sends messengers to David, lets him know what to do. And because Absalom doesn't listen to Ahithophel, Ahithophel actually goes out and takes his own life, realizing it's over. He's not listening to me. I gave him the good advice. His chances are over. Um, and Absalom will be defeated. We'll have to save that for next time. I, don't, I, I, I would have got a little further in here, but for sake of time, and we do have communion this morning, we'll stop there. Nonetheless, even stopping here, we've seen three motives. Three motives for the decisions and the courses of action that were made by the characters in, these, in this passage of Scripture. How that during this conflict between Absalom and David, we see that Absalom acted with, out of selfish ambition. Ziba acted out of selfish ambition. As we'll see next week, Joab will also act out of selfish ambition to a degree. Even though he's loyal to David, his true loyalties are really to himself, whatever is in it for himself. We know Ziba himself is acting like he's loyal to David, but he's in it for what's good for him. But of course, Absalom is going against David for what's good for him. Whether they're taking the outwardly right course of action or the wrong one, they're doing it for selfish ambition, and therefore they're wrong. We have to always uh, examine our motives. What are we doing with our lives, the choices we're making, the course of actions that we're taking, are they what God would please God? Or are they what's just best for us, what's convenient for us? We have to make sure that selfish ambition is not our motive. We must make sure if we're in it for pleasing God, doing what is best from God's perspective, doing the right thing, making the right choice. And we see that with the loyalty demonstrated by David toward his own people and leaving Jerusalem. We see that also by the loyalty of David's servants who go with him. We see it by the loyalty of Ittai, Gittai, who hadn't been with David long, apparently. He's not even a Jew himself or a Hebrew himself. He is loyal to David, to death, if it be the case. And he fights for David. We saw, see this also uh, with Abishai. He's loyal to David, and he, unlike his brother Joab, Abishai, listens to David. When David says, don't go and cut this guy's head off who's cursing me, he, you know, he's loyal to David, says, I'll go and remove this guy's head if you want. But he listens to David and doesn't do so because David told him not to, and he's loyal to David. And then we saw revenge. I believe Ahithophel is giving this a counsel to Absalom for revenge. We see that at the end of chapter 16. He's having Absalom do to David by taking those concubines before all of Israel and saying, see, I am the next king. The, uh, the old king's wives are my wives now. What David did to Uriah the Hittite with Bathsheba secretly, he is now doing openly, which is exactly what Nathan said would happen. And Ahithophel is working vengeance on David for that secret sin that David had committed. And we also see vengeance is what Shimei wants and he's throwing stones and cursing David. He feels like Saul's family, the house of Benjamin, has been wronged by David becoming the king. 
and he's throwing those stones and wants vengeance. We'll see next week how Joab wants vengeance against Absalom, and he will get it. He will kill Absalom himself. Well, we haven't got to that part yet, but that's another motive, vengeance, another guy who will illustrate it. Everything we do, we need to make sure we do what is right, and we also need to make sure we do it with the right motives. Are our motives pure? Not for what's in it for us, not for revenge, but what pleases God, what is loyal ultimately to God, because David is God's choice to be the king, God's ruler for his people. And so everyone who's loyal to David is also being loyal to God. It's God's will. And, uh, you, know, you know, for me, uh, the, la the last church I was serving in as a teacher, I, had, had to, I was challenged at one point when I began to search for, for other places, even before, um, even before the ultimate decision came, came along that, okay, it's, you have to move on. One of the things I was challenged on in an interview was... Jonathan, do you believe that God led you to this church to serve there? Do you believe it was God's will to go and be a teacher at that school? And I said, yes. And so he said, why is it now time to leave? Have you learned all that God wanted you to learn? Is God the one moving you? And, uh, and he said, and, then, and, and I said, yes. And then that was confirmed. That was, even if I had wanted to stay, I wouldn't have been. But then he had a third question, which was even harder. So Jonathan, if you could go back, if you could go back and make the decision again to go to that church and serve there in that situation, everything you've described to me, would you still do it? And it was hard at that point because I didn't see what was going to, how God was going to work it. I did not see me coming here and becoming the pastor from over there. I didn't see it ahead of time. But looking back now, I have to say, well, yes, even with all the anguish that was caused by being in God's will, being in that place, learning what God had for me to learn there, if I had to make the decision again, yes, because that was God's will at the time. He led me there for a time, had something for me to learn and to serve him there. And uh, not that I'm always perfect or, or do it in the perfect way. Uh, I know that is also another challenge, is that when we're making the right choice, do what is right for the right motive. And as long as that is what God wants, do it. And if you can go back and make a decision again, make the same decision. If that was God's will, continue in God's will. And God will work things out for good. David realized that if it was God's will, David would be brought back as the king to Jerusalem. But he willingly leaves, submitting to the correction and punishment of God, knowing that he messed up with Bathsheba and deserved all the evil that was happening to him in this passage. Let's bow for prayer.